Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I am Brian, with me as always are Vince and Zach. And uh, we were going to talk about the comics that came out on January 1st, 2020. Happy New Year, everybody. But they were sort of a snooze fest. And so Vince had suggested that we go back and read uh, a book he had been wanting to reread. And uh, a book that Zach and I, I think, have both pretty recently reread. And that is uh, Jim Starlin and Mike Mignola's Cosmic Odyssey. So sort of a book club episode. If you haven't read Cosmic Odyssey and you want to, it is available on DC Universe, it is available on Comixology, or it was, um, I think it was relatively recently recollected, but I actually have the old prestige format single issues, which are, are lovely. Um, and so, Vince, because you wanted to reread this, tell us sort of what what is it about this book that you wanted to revisit? Um, well... I think I, I think I mostly just wanted to see the the Mike Mignola DC art again. Um, I saw I was at the comic book shop a few weeks ago and I saw like the Mike Mignola DC Universe trade paperback or whatever you know whatever They're, they have a collection where it collects all the yes. stuff that Mignola has done at DC. I don't know if this you, is part of it. I you I know to be honest I, I don't know what, if it is either because I didn't I kind of don't think it is because it's so big I think it's yeah. more like standalone stuff kind of yeah. like, like that Alan Moore one that they did a while back right which doesn't have like Saga of the Swamp thing in it obviously or like Watchmen yeah <laughs> right right yeah but I well, saw it's the not cover. really DC Universe <laughs> uh hey fuck you <laughs> <laughs> God man Zach you really are raw yeah. Lately. And you fucking Murphy over here in a yeah, rubber jacket. You... I'm yep. sorry. I love you guys. <laughs> um, but anyway, I saw the cover of that, and it made me want to go back and read this. And um, <laughs> I what? <laughs> Nothing. I just thought I should have made like a doomsday clock joke or something. Oh. It's okay. In the Alan Moore stuff. <laughs> Well, no, DCU. It is technically DCU, so take that. It's canon. Take it up with Jeff Johns. (laughs) Very good. We're on our bullshit. Um, Yes, we are. um, But the other reason I wanted to read this is because I don't know when the last time I looked at it was, um, but it was surely before we've read hundreds and hundreds of comics over the last few years for this show. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when I when I return to old comics that I read before we started doing this show, I often come to them in like with fresh context, like, oh, this is what a good event looks like. Now I remember or like this is what this is what a classic run feels like when you're not reading something in the moment, you know. Right. Right. And so. Like I always thought Cosmic Odyssey was fun, uh, but I wanted to return to it to to see like with a more mature mind what I would think of it. And uh, I gotta tell you guys, I was blown away. <laughs> Spoiler alert! Um, well, I loved this. Well, first of all, don't call me Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. <laughs> I sat on that for like. Three minutes. I let you finish your 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 sentences. 
uh, had tonight, Zach? Should I be calling just one? Up? Just one, but it was a 16 ounce instead of a 12 ounce oh, can. Boy. And I actually haven't even finished the whole thing. What the heck? Um, um, yeah, no, this is a this is a wild one. Uh, so, um, what year did this come out? Let's look it up. I was going to ask because I wanted to know how many years, uh, there were between this and Death of the New Gods, because, whoa. So this is 1988. Yeah. Yeah. So I... ish Yes. So I got at least one of these issues when they were coming out. Uh, I was six years old. Um, I was in Pampers. Yeah. Uh, Zach wasn't even born yet. Um, but, uh, and I remember at the time it going very much over my head <laughs> because this is, <laughs> this is some pretty deep, uh, comic booky shit, but a, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a visual element from this book that was done in a lot of books. But I, whenever I think of this book, the first thing I think of is, um, this thing that happens probably, oh, geez. Probably happens a dozen times throughout the throughout the book, and it almost always happens with Superman, but it happens a fair amount where you see a character coming into panel and everything is blacked out but the emblem on their chest. Mm. And mm. I love that so much. And I don't know how much of that was Mignola versus Carlos Garzon, who was the uh, the inker on it. I don't know sort of who made that decision to to do that but i love nothing more in a superhero comic than seeing a character fly in that way and like as a kid even that really struck me as something <laughs> like oh wow that's a very interesting visual choice for this book to be making and it's, it's like the first time i remember thinking about art that way art of any kind it was the first time i thought about the decision maker being not i'm sorry of somebody being a decision maker and the thing not just existing on its own and so uh, that 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 was my initial sort of experience with the book. So but, when you were when you were six years old, you said, uh, "Look at the way the artist and the colorist use the negative space." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm Adam Sandler, uh, <laughs> drunk in Billy Madison when I'm saying this. <laughs> but but, but sure. Yeah, it's 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 Superman Day or whatever the fuck I'd call it. Yes, yes, I was saying that. <laughs> uh, no, that no, that's a really keen point, and I love seeing that too. Um, I'm looking at a page of this right now where where Batman and Gordon are talking, and it's just Batman's symbol and his eyes, and everything else is shaded, and that's yeah, it's so striking. When Superman swoops in and it's just the S on his chest and everyone's reacting to it, it's very much like, you know, we know that there's a person behind Superman and and, and as fans of the character, we appreciate his personality or whatnot, but to the world, he's that symbol, right? And, yeah. and that's what they see first, and that's a really interesting artistic way to present that. Yeah. You, you want to know something that um this the first chapter reminds me of every time i have reread it uh in recent years what's that the the bit 
in the first issue where Batman is running around in the sewers and he comes across the parademon is just like the first issue of the new 52 Justice League. Oh. Oh, wow. Except this is good. <laughs> well, yes, but. <laughs> well, and if you think about it, the kind of the last thing John's ever did uh, with the Justice League in the new 52 era was essentially a, a springboard off of this with the Mobius chair. and Yeah, yeah. you're not wrong. So his, you could argue that John's entire basis for the New 52 iteration of Justice League was mm. Cosmic Odyssey in some way. It's interesting. Um, but there's so much from Cosmic Odyssey that carries forward. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get yeah, to that. It's, this further. is like one of those like killing jokes kind of books. Yeah, which can we, before we move on to talk more about the contents of the book specifically, I wonder if either of you know this, either uh, Brian from being there because you're super old or just from, you know, having you. Having, <laughs> having heard tale. Maybe Zach knows. Um, how much did this I and I hate to use this phrase, quote unquote, matter. Like when it was coming out, was it intended to be? this thing that would set the status quo for so many of these characters, or was it something that ended up just being that after the fact because of how influential certain creators found it to be? Do you have any idea? Uh, I don't. I probably should have looked into this before we uh, recorded the show about it. But, but what I'll say this, is... Uh... Go ahead, Zach. What were you saying? Oh, no, you go ahead. I, I just had a question about... But I was... What I was going to say is this was released as sort of four prestige format, 48-page books. And I feel like DC didn't do that for everything at the time. It was typically for, pardon the pun, prestige, prestigious books. Like it was for books like um, Batman the Cult. If you guys ever read that, that is a oh, yeah. great, great Batman story. That was released in the exact same format. And I don't know, that's another book that I think has had a very long influence, but I don't know if it was necessarily intended that way or not. I would think, though, that for DC to put the extra money behind um, the, the the length of the book and the format of the book, it had to be a relatively high priority for the company, wouldn't you think? Yeah, but I, I think certainly... Um from a quality perspective or from what they perceived it to be as far as like a standalone story. I I'm wondering more about the global context of it within the, within the company. I can't, you know, I can't place it in any sort of continuity where like, okay, at the time DC was going to decide that these things mattered right away or, or whether it was something that influenced down the road I just can't tell whether that's the case or not. But you're right. I think they put the resources behind it. They clearly thought it was a very good story, a very important story to to tell. But and I don't yet, know. I think there are some parts of this book that sort of fly in the face of that. Like for instance, if this book came out today, 
what is the number one takeaway people would have from the first issue? Number one takeaway from the first issue? A gripe people would have with the first issue. Oh, a gripe. Mm. I don't know. Batman uses a gun. Oh. I guess. People get... People... (laughs) Boom, boom. People get so when, mad when he when he when he's shooting the um the parademon. Yeah, and he says like I don't typically like firearms, but boom 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 boom. Like, you know, uh... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, but I think people would have to. Me, me like a laser gun is different. It looks more like a laser gun. So sure, it's sure. <laughs> um, I I think typically people like when Batman kills people. Now he's never has, so I don't know how they could like that. <laughs> well. That's not true, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's not relitigate this again, boys. Um, but yeah, uh, I I feel like there are parts of this book that, if they weren't meant to be important in the moment, they certainly became important and pretty quickly. I mean, you gotta realize the John Stewart Zanshi stuff, which we'll get to in a minute. That was addressed in comics featuring Jon Stewart not long after this. Was it? Well, I was going to I was going to ask when this took place in relation to Mosaic. So Green Lantern before... Mosaic started in 1990. Okay, so this was after. No, uh, this is 88. I meant I meant mosaic was after is what I meant. Yes, I just said the opposite thing <laughs> to what I meant to say. Um, but I don't started know that how... second beer, did you? <laughs> no, still on the first one. I, I don't. Much. I don't know how much of the Zanshi stuff came out in mosaic. I don't remember either, but I kind of wondered if this was like I know that was like when John, like I know John was like front and center before that, but he was like the guardian of the universe in that, and so I was wondering if this like predated that you know what i mean like yeah i can't remember if it deals with that or not but you know i want to say that i mean i had just reread a bunch of stuff during my shazam read through i read through stuff like final night and a couple of those other sort of mid 90s event books final night is good and I know in at least one of those, it's brought up. Uh-huh. And so that was, what, okay. five or six years later, something like that? Sure. Um, so this really was affecting things essentially right off the bat. Yeah, it it, sounds like. I think so. But it's, it's hard to say that because the characters that, that are affected the most by this are people like Forager and Orion, who you're not spending a ton of time with month to month in the DC Universe. Mm-hmm. And like I don't know if if Etrigan got more page time after that. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, that was going to be my other question. Was this the the comic presents this as a return of Etrigan, as if he had been gone for a, a long, long time, right? I just heard return of Etrigan <laughs> to the tune of return to innocence in my head when you said that (laughs) 
Uh, well, I know what I'm doing after the show, but um, <laughs> but but you know, now we know that Etrigan pops up. I would say a handful of times a year, right? For as long as I've been reading DC again now, so it this book makes it seem. <laughs> What? I'm sorry. I'm reading the Wikipedia page for Etrigan. Holy shit. <laughs> okay. Do I so, want to know? Yes, you do. So Does the Wikipedia page rhyme? No, it does not. So uh there's there's a um <laughs> there's a paragraph about Cosmic Odyssey and there's a second paragraph which talks about like sort of after they they re they reemerge and all this the the paragraph after I'm just going to read it out loud, okay guys? Yep. Upon escape from the realm beyond, Etrigan and Blood agreed to work together and teamed with Batman and Robin against the Howler. Soon after, Etrigan was chosen as a political candidate for President of the United States and nearly succeeded in securing the Republican nomination from George H.W. Bush. <laughs> During his political run, he attempted to gain Superman's endorsement but was denied it. <laughs> Comics are wacky. We could have had what a president Etrigan, guys. What book did this happen in? I am looking right now. Uh, the Demon Volume 3, of course. <laughs> of course. Hey. Uh, we, we could have lived in a world with President Etrigan. That's wacky. Um, and guys, congratulations. I believe the demon is... Oh no! Only the zero issue is on uh, DC Universe. Oh, oh damn. too bad. Make that happen, DC overlords, who are definitely listening to us. Um, <laughs> sorry, I had I had to share about President Etrigan. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, so. <laughs> To answer your question, it does appear that Etrigan becomes more present after Cosmic Odyssey. Okay. Because that, that's presidential, <laughs> even. <laughs> even. Uh, because that's certainly how the how the book sort of presents it. You know? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so there's just there's just so much here that's so influential. Um, you know, without even talking about how good the book is uh at being a standalone comic book story um it's it's so impressive even the forager stuff like what a character arc for forager in this and that you know i don't know how much it's paid off over the years but certainly every time we see forager whenever it is thinking also of the mike allred young animal book these yeah. themes are these themes are played upon again that that forager is an outsider when it comes to the rest of the the new gods cast and in you know the the idea that referring to him as, as bug is an insult versus his real name that he calls himself you know th these are all themes that that have been returned to over the years well, I, I was reminded, and maybe I'm misremembering, but doesn't the Mike Allred Bug series begin with him, like, resurrecting after dying in Cosmic I Odyssey? believe so, yes. I think yeah, right, now, yes. now that you say that, I think that is true. Yep. 
Ooh, that makes me want to reread that. <laughs> you guys gave up on it. I liked it more than you did. No, I read the whole thing. Yeah, I read the whole thing. I didn't. I didn't love it the way that I would expect to to love a a Mike Allred book. But I did just today read the new Mike Allred David Bowie OGN. Yeah, is that good? It's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah, I you mean, know, it's, it's just it's it's a it's a relatively straightforward tongue of Bowie's life. Okay. So it looks. Is there beautiful. a labyrinth scene? There is not because it ends when he retires the Ziggy Stardust uh, persona. Okay, fine. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Ziggy played guitar. He did, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, um, but yeah, so um, what do we want, what are the things we want to highlight from this, from this book? Oh, man. Um, the art. The art is just yeah. so incredible. Um, that that Mike all uh Mike Mignola can he can he can draw some books maybe he should he should do some comics sometime. Yeah. <laughs> I just I I, I wish I I've said this you know when we talk about um Ra- you know like Raphael Grampa right I I want artists like that to be given jobs like this more often on books that matter you know. I know they're off doing their own thing and, you know, whatever is best for them financially and creatively, you know, whatever they want to do. But all I'm saying is I want to see that more often. I feel like that's what this is, you know. Now, of course, this was before Mike Mignola was, you know, all capitals brand name Mike Mignola, right? Right. But, yeah, but it's the quality of the work is just so incredible and different and very Kirby, but also Frank Mill. It's like smashing the two together. Um, yeah, man, Kirby dots all over this thing. And they're like handmade, not like digital, not like digitally processed Kirby dots. Like you sometimes see today. Um, everything just feels so organic and real and lived in and sometimes grimy mm-hmm. and uh we, i was just reading an issue of batman for our fair podcast and there's a double page spread of batman in gotham city and there's a big billboard that has a very plain like it may as well be times new roman lettering across this billboard announcing something Mm-hmm. And it it almost single-handedly ruins the double-page spread by looking so ordinary, digital, and out of place. I know exactly the scene you're talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And, you know, that that's, that's a shortcut that practically ruins the art for me. This book feels so homespun and organic all the way through. And I know that 1988 was a vastly different time than than today and the techniques and the technology is so different, but I wish artists would just commit to doing things this way because there aren't any shortcuts taken, you know, and it looks so good. This book just looks so good from beginning to end. We can talk about individual panels or whatever, but just like the overall work is incredible. All the weird, crazy Kirby inspired designs of like, the different bombs and the different technology, you know, the different like weird technology they run into. 
it's just so bonkers and detailed and and yet cartoony, you know, yet very, you know, like not overly realistic. Ah, uh, I, I love the way this looks. There are also a number of moments in the book where you see who Mignola will become eventually. Like, mm-hmm. all the stuff with the anti-life entity, all of that looks like Hellboy shit. Like, a, yeah. lot, a lot of the designs and sort of the set dressing that he puts around it all feels very much like Hellboy stuff. And it's cool to see an artist sort of figuring out who he is. Um, I really appreciated that part of it as well. But you're right, Vince. It's just there's there are so many small touches... Everything looks gorgeous. Everything looks handmade. And believe it or not, these four 48-page issues came out one month apart. Mm. So everything must have been just, you know, planned out and done far in advance so that it wasn't super delayed. It's just, it's... And I know that's not a huge deal, all things considered, but it seems to me like this kind of book would never happen today. Yeah... For yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, can we talk about how, how like awful everyone is in this book? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's part of what makes this so interesting. One of the comparisons I was going to make, and Zach, I want you to get into specifically what you what you mean. But like, they just don't do events like this anymore either. Like, if you think about Heroes in Crisis. For example, and I, I know I'm picking like one of the worst events in recent memory, but like there's a bunch of stuff that's like Heroes in Crisis adjacent, right? Like one character is responsible for the genocide of an entire planet. Um, another character, you know, belittles Forager to the point of just, you know, just awfulness. Um, you're right. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of grim negativity within the pages of this comic but it's it's all done to some greater or additive effect it doesn't feel like it's reverse engineering an outcome that they need for a for the next event or whatever the next status quo you know it's all very organic character work that then results in things that affect these characters' lives going forward. So, Zach, talk about how awful everybody is, but I just, I love the distinction there. I love how much better this is at that stuff than, like, an identity crisis or a hero's yeah. crisis. Yeah, well, like, okay, I feel like the obvious one is, like, John Stewart, who, who is just, like, the worst in this book. <laughs> you know, just, like... <laughs> Almost like to me, like uncharacteristically so. Like I wonder, like I obviously, it's funny. Like you mentioned, Heroes in Crisis. Like that's a book of, full of characters acting like uncharacteristically awful, um, and like not being like uh, very familiar with John Stewart's characterization circa the late '80s. Like I don't know. Like were people offended by how John acted in this? Because like he's so cocky. Um, yeah, I don't Do know. Either of you have any insight on that? No, I wondered the same thing while reading it, though, because it's really inviting us to just hate this fucking guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, and, and so... maybe this is where maybe this is where we or I I'll just speak for myself. 
benefit from reading like a couple decades of John Stewart comics since, because now he he's so different from this character that I read in this, that it makes it seem like this was an organic change for him because of this trauma he took on, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. 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 So there's that. I just don't like, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here, but like there's a part in the book where like John's about to kill himself and like, Martian Manhunter is like watching him and like kind of not like taunting him, but he's like, aren't you going to do it? And then like, he doesn't. And then he just gives like the most, like just the biggest smirk, just like, I know it's supposed to be like, he's satisfied because he has like saved John from like killing himself, but it's just like so spiteful in a way. I don't know. Well, it's like I don't know. very weird. I don't know. I didn't read it that way. I read it as I read it as Martian Manhunter knowing exactly what John Stewart needed to hear. Agreed. Yeah, I, I don't know. Way. It just seemed like like the whole sequence is just crazy dark and I was just like, "Oh man, this is heavy." And then like, yeah, so Orion is just like a bigot and also he like murders a bunch of people. Um, just for fun, um, not for fun, but like definitely didn't have to do that. Um, who else is awful? Um, I guess those are like the biggest defenders that stand out. Um, but it's just, it's just like weird. And like, I even think it's really weird how the book kind of has a non ending in a way, sort of, it just, it, it, it kind of ends with that weird conversation between high father and Orion the way where actually, he tells him that he might learn some some tolerance humili- or something toler- tolerance yeah, yeah tolerance but but it also like it just like ends it's just like and that's it yeah <laughs> you know um it's it's a weird book it's it's really weird but it's good don't get me wrong it just feels so different than anything else that we see now yeah i mean i i kind of think it's brilliant in that way like i wish I wish every event comic were like this, you know, this, this should be the template in some ways. Final crisis is, you know, Um, well, it's uh, in a lot of ways, like final crisis is like a spiritual sequel to this. I feel mm -hmm. like, um, not, not like explicitly, but I mean, like you think about the way that the new God story is like told throughout DC history. And it's just this like weird piecemeal thing where different creators come in and like sew in a little patchwork thing. Um, and um, this is part of that final crisis is part of that. Um, it's weird that like Starlin would go on to write death of the new gods, which was like the lead in to final crisis, even though it didn't like totally match up, um, <laughs> which I don't, have you guys read that? No, 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 oh. Ryan. Well, we should do that next because that book's a trip. Okay. Um, it is weird. It's a weird book. Um, I actually haven't read it probably in over a decade, but um, yeah, I think I think that that's interesting. I almost like don't even think it's hard for me to think about this book as an event because it's so. It's more like a, um, I don't even know like what I would compare this to in modern, modern day. 
It's kind of like multiversity a little bit. It's just this like weird standalone like creator flex joint. Yeah. Yeah. Or or it is like a. I don't know. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Justice Doom War, in some ways. But that's like, like in a book. Yeah, but. Yeah. That's why I was. That's why I had the question about like how much this counted or whatever because at the time because. Why publish it this way? It's really weird, you know. Um, especially post crisis, which was a book that, you know, ran. Th- it had its own book, but it it touched in all these other ongoing books. And as far as I know, this didn't do that while it was running. No, I don't believe it, it did at all. Um, no. Also, this is somewhat tangential, but if this happened in 2019 or 2020, rather, this would absolutely be called uh, Cosmic Crisis, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, this it basically is. But I love how, I also love how how simple the plot is, too. You know, it's like um, a very uh, simple conflict. The these. Uh, physical manifestations of the anti-life equation are flying off to these different places and the, and the, the heroes have to team up in pairs essentially to, to go stop them. And that is such a simple beginning. And yet Starlin mines so much character. So first of all, the pairings are very interesting. They and are. He, he mines a lot of that for, character work and personality and and things that again just pure character bits that will get carried forward for decades and um and it's not any more complicated than that you know it's it's only as complicated as saying like as as understanding like ah, the idea, what this is like what, what is this like now i'm thinking like with like the pairings and the the multiple break this is like no justice yeah it's no justice oh yes. man yes it is yes that's good that's good that's very good yeah. yeah yeah i agree well said um this is better than no justice but yeah. it is though yeah oh yeah um Oh man, I just flipped the double page spread of New Genesis the first time that they they boom there, and boom da boom man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I'm on a flight uh, of the Concorde. Yeah, you are. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, boom, it's never been done. Boom boom like a rocket taken off to the moon. Who's the um, boom king? <laughs> I'm the boom king. Uh, the narration says. Uh, that's what really gets me mad about Darkseid. How could even a monster like him want to destroy such harmony and beauty? And it really is. Like, the, the Mignola art on this double-page spread is so um, beautiful and in a, in a very uncanny, weird way, in a very, like, Salvador Dali-esque, you know. Um, oh, man, it's so so weird and good and... I mean, pretty look at well let's talk about like how many things are like really iconic from this series i mean like the the zanshi like reveal with like john standing in front of the like big yellow bomb i feel like that is really iconic yeah if if only maybe because like john's like 
reinterprets it like through various artists multiple times over the course of his run i feel like you see it a lot maybe that maybe i'm just like misremembering but i feel like it comes up a lot um like this i feel like is technically less iconic but i think about it all the time i feel like the um what is it the um the like pentagram from the final yes. from the final issue mm-hmm. um like that that stuff i feel like is just so good yeah the the ticking clock came off to me as very like the digital mm-hmm. countdown timer on the bomb. Yeah, I could see that. Um, yeah, man. Um, what else? <coughs> the, the 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 Mobius the image of the Mobius chair flying through the the flying through space with all the planets around yeah him metron riding on it um i don't know how how iconic that is but i do you know especially because of john's again consider that to be a a a pretty strong image i think i think even the like very very weakened etrigan Mm. is uh is an image that, that stuck with me a lot you know um Mm -hmm. both etrigan and jason blood look so beat up when you first see them yeah um is uh am i misremembering is like is the demon like a character that is particularly tied to kirby kirby created him i believe yeah he did okay okay i thought so i thought i thought maybe i was like misremembering um so that's like an interesting aspect of something that i feel like I don't know if this is like the first thing to do that, but this has definitely become a thing since then. This kind of like amalgamation of the Kirby verse yeah. into things. Let's get all the Kirby creations in one place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like the, and there's a little bit of that here with with the demon showing up and playing such a big part. Mm-hmm. What's a shame as you read this is that you realize that Kirby was still alive. And could have been working with these characters. Yeah, that does suck. Uh, and I believe was doing work for DC not that far removed from here because uh, he was doing the Superpowers book, which was the sort of the toy, the toy yeah. tie-in line. That was like the mid '80s, right? Yeah, that was only a couple years before this, though. So, yeah, it's just a bummer. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do this let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll sort of uh, wrap up our discussion of Cosmic Odyssey and maybe talk about some of the uh, some of the effects this book had on Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast I'm Emily I'm Zach and I'm Walter each month we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves past books include Monster a Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. 
So we've talked a little bit about how the John Stewart stuff has carried over into other books. Is there any other character beat that you think has been sort of that was established here that we've seen pop up elsewhere or no? Well, you mentioned the Batman with a gun thing. That's like another clear Final Crisis tie. I That's think. true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like the the Orion stuff very much reverberates. I feel like, um, you know, the, the more that we see the new gods and that this has been happening, you know, more often, I feel, since the New 52 uh, started, you know, Orion keeps coming in and crossing over with the Green Lanterns and your Wonder Womans, right? I feel like a lot of the character stuff established with him as sort of a villain slash anti-hero when he needs to be uh, asshole. You know, that's that stuff. I feel like spins out of this book a lot stronger than it would have just out of the Kirby stuff. Sure. So, yeah. so I feel like that's character work that has carried over. Um, the Forager stuff, which we've already talked about, uh, and that's great. Um, I'm sure we're going to get to see uh, Tom King reference the Adam Strange stuff maybe a little, because you know, you know that he likes playing with the sort of Kirby adjacent aspects of these characters and you know strange's involvement in here's i would imagine it's going to get referenced we should put a pin in that and come back to it when, when we read that yeah godforsaken book yeah that's that's also like i mean we're seeing a lot of that kind of stuff now like with adam strange showing up in like superman mm -hmm. um with all the like space stuff there. Um, and, you know, Starlin would go on to do all of that, like Rand Thanagar stuff, which I actually never read. That was like in my like DC golden age. Uh, and I was always like kind of interested in that stuff, but I, I never got around to reading it. All that stuff spinning out of infinite crisis. Um, like the, the like Rand Thanagar, Holy war stuff, which always seemed really interesting probably wasn't that great but <laughs> <laughs> what's very interesting to me here is the choice of starfire over wonder woman mm, yeah you know typically when we get a story like this you get the trinity at the heart of it and uh no starfire is the only female character brought over from uh from the from earth to uh to, to be a part of this and I know that this is sort of deep in the uh, in the New Teen Titans Afterglow, where she was still a very prominent character. But it it is just very it's very unusual to see this this type of story happening without Diana as part of it. I wonder if I wonder if I mean they kind of make an excuse for it in this book. I think as far as like Starfire's power set, right? But I also wonder if the Perez stuff was going so strong at this point that 
they didn't want to mess with it or he didn't want. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, maybe he blocked her usage. Yeah, I don't want to imply. Yeah, I, I would hate to accuse him of that if that's not true. But, you know, something along those lines, editorially. It wouldn't, that... it wouldn't surprise me because that was such a, a influential and, and sort of ground up take on rebuilding Diana as well. So Yeah, because that's really the only character that appears here where you thought if this was made today, it maybe wouldn't. Right? I don't know. I think it kind of makes sense. I don't I mean, yeah, I don't I think there would probably be I don't know that I would say that I would expect like Wonder Woman to be the female character. I think that there would maybe be like a different female character. It would be Harley Quinn. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> what you're right. What the heck? What am I thinking? Like no doubt. Oh god. Oh, that's so cursed. Okay, that that oh man. Okay, so I know we did just have New Justice, but that had like a million characters in it. If they if we were to recast Cosmic Odyssey today, who would be the eight characters that would be on the teams? Is it still New Gods? Um well, like new, yeah, New Gods are involved, but like So we need four New Gods and well, we really only no. had two. Orion Light Ray, Forge. Oh, I forgot about Light Ray. You're right. So, you're right. So okay. three new gods and five non-new gods? Uh, yes. And then are we casting well, the Etrigan role also? Nah, let's let's just do the let's just do the two the four teams. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mr. Miracle will definitely be one of them now. Yes. As would Let's Barta. do Cosmic Odyssey written by Tom King. Let's do that. Okay, so it's, it's Batman's on this no matter what. Yes, of course it's he is. Bat, yeah, it's Batman. But Mr. the 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 three new gods are Mister Miracle, Orion, and Barda. Right. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, sure. All right. So we got Batman, Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn, um, the Joker. <laughs> no, he wouldn't put the Joker in there. Uh, no, oh, but no. Okay, plot twist: the Batman is who Thomas Wayne. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. So, so Flashpoint Batman. Batman. The Batman, Batman who laughs instead of Darkseid. Oh, <laughs> you know yes. what would happen? Yes. Yes, I like yes, it. it okay, I like it. <laughs> God, we're this is really bad. This is who would? No one would read this. Are you uh, kidding? Like, yeah, that's true. He was voted the number one. He was. Film. He was the villain yeah. of the year. Tom King? <laughs> no. <laughs> Batman Who Laughs. Remember Who from laughs. the Harley Quinn issue? No, I know. That was a joke. And and Tony Daniel would draw it. Yes. This joke fell apart, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to think who the Martian Manhunter character would be. Would that be Adam Strange now? Well, if, um, if Tom King's writing it, then yes. Kite Man. <laughs> yes. Kite yeah. Man would be who Batman calls in the first issue that shows up <laughs> in the fourth issue. Yeah, and he'd be he'd be he'd announce himself from off panel by saying, "Hell yeah, of course." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did it, you guys. We did it. Do it. We always do it. Every time. Um. 
so the last couple things I wanted to talk about were I wanted to talk about how the first issue especially is a huge information dump. There's a lot of exposition there, but it doesn't bog the issue down too much. But once we get past that initial information dump, there's almost no other point in the three issues where a character is monologuing for any real reason. Do you think that this is more of a product of Starlin's writing or just of that's how comics used to be? Well, I know. I don't know. I've not read a lot of comics from that era. I know from reading some Starlin recently with some of the Marvel cosmic stuff that my man's does love uh, exposition sometimes. Um, And so I think like, I don't know. I the thing that really impressed me about Cosmic Odyssey was how simple and streamlined it was. How how it is almost all character work and it really feels like um a conscious decision being made. Where where going into this it almost seems like Starlin said, "You know what? The conflict is going to be this big simple concept of the anti-life equation taking these physical uh, aspect forms. They're going to fly out to whatever locations. You're not going to need any more background or exposition than that. After we establish that, it's going to be heroes and villains teaming up. Boom, boom, boom. How do they bounce off of one another? What do they decide to do to solve these individual problems in their individual locations? Let's make it all about character. It really feels like a conscious decision towards that. And it made it such a better read than some of these stories and events that are just so bogged down with background, establishing things, the lore, the stuff that the stuff that you really don't you shouldn't need too much of to craft a dramatic story you know so my answer is it seems like a conscious individual decision by the storytellers more than a product of any time or not like to me this is fairly timeless Mm -hmm. yeah i would argue with that i I don't think that too much of this reads too dated uh zach do you agree that it's relatively timeless I think I think yeah I th- I think so I think I think it is it's not the worst thing that I've read from the eighties. <laughs> that 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 is that you is make some it sound like phrase. You, yeah you make it sound like you don't like it very much. No, it's fine. I like it. I I don't know. The first issue is a lot, but I do. I think once you get past that, it's not. It's not too bad. I think it also helps that the art is just so dynamic. That's true. That's definitely true. That you know, you're not just getting this info dump. You're getting this beautiful info dump. <laughs> Love to have beautiful info dumps. That's why I like Dawn of X so much. Yes. Yes, of course. The beautiful infographic dumps. Yes. <laughs> All right, boys. Anything else to add? Nope. No. 
So uh, I am totally cool with Death of the New Gods being the next project when one of these weeks is a little bit uh, boring. Well, you will not like it as much as this. I guarantee it. (laughs) You will not thank me. Let me ask you a very important question. Is there any scene in that where Batman wears a trench coat over his cowl? No, that doesn't happen. I don't think. I don't. I don't recall that. Um, I honestly don't recall much from that book. There's one thing I remember, and that's that's the only thing. Well, all eight issues are on DC Universe. Oh my! So, so we got to do it. All right. All right. We're gonna do it. Well, thank you for listening. Next folks. time the books are bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, next time the books are boring. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't have time to read it by next week, so... Oh. Oh. That's a little, a little spoiler, a little tease. Oh, there are some things I like. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening, folks. We hope this has been a fun diversion. If you've not read Cosmic Odyssey, go out and read it. it it's it's in print lots of places. It's not hard to find, and it's, it's truly special. I, I, it's one of my favorite books of all time, actually. I didn't gush as much on this episode about it because we were having good discussions, but a couple of years ago I was on uh, our sister podcast, Robots from Tomorrow, talking about this book, and uh, I think about this comic all the time. One of my absolute favorites, and uh, can't recommend it higher. So uh, until next time, though, uh, you can find two-thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. I am at Wilker Fox. If you need Vince, he is slithering through the subways of Gotham using cosmic weapons to take out what he calls aliens. <laughs> and uh, until next time, uh, remember, vote Etrigan 2020. <laughs> He's our only hope. We were made to be a tricycle. <laughs> <laughs>